In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Hey, y'all. You have no idea what people go through and what they've had to push through in order to get to the place in life where you see them now, where you see them shining, but you don't know the things that they've had to carry, the dark moments they've had to endure. But that's why I'm so eager to introduce y'all to my next guest coming up right here on Checking In with Michelle Williams. OMG. OMG, OMG, I'm not gonna get too comfortable here because this is someone whom I nickname Sunshine, but she's a respected industry veteran and is one of the top, top creatives in the PR business for people such as Mariah Carey, Prince, Destiny's Child, individually and collectively, and so, many more. Please welcome powerhouse publicist and CEO of Sure Media Group, Yvette Noel Sure. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Ooh. Michelle. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Thank Listen, you. 22 years. And A long time. You soar higher heights, but you I, I've called you sunshine for years because you exude sunshine even amidst, <laughs> even amidst pressure, even amidst just having to tell somebody off yeah, because they disrespected one of your clients. And I've named off some amazing, amazing folks in the industry, but there's more to you just holding hands, walking down red carpets. <laughs> red carpets. Yeah, yeah. Now we're in the era of social media where everything is for the gram. Yeah. And you were doing this before the gram. Yeah. The grit before the gram is what they call it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, things have changed. You know that. Uh, I was telling someone the other day that I remember being on the carpet with Destiny's Child and being in the middle and a photographer yelling at me, Yvette, take your hand out of the photo. Because I I had forgotten to let go. And you had... 
Have you posted that picture or something where your hand or we've seen that photo where your hand? Yes. It's always in it. It's always in it. And it's crazy because all those years later, one of my favorite photos is me holding hands with Chloe and Hallie. And I was on a carpet with them and I said, oh, my God, before the photographer yelled at me, let me let go. Because all those years later, I think what it is, I have been blessed to work with artists pretty much from their inception. And so I've gotten to work with artists when they were young people, young men, mostly young women. And I can't help it that I came into the business first and foremost as a mom, but also because I'm just somebody that loves people. And, you know, going back to Destiny's Child, being trusted by the label, of course, but being trusted by the Knowles family. And at the time, the first four members were 14 and 15 years old mm. when I met them, you know. And when you came in, you were like 20 years old, right? Yeah, 19, 20 right? years old. Yeah, 19, 19 20, 20 years, years old. old. So to me, to me, that's a baby because I'm still 20 years ahead of the members of Destiny's Child. So I may not need to be mommy, but I'm going to be auntie. I've rattled off all these things, award-winning publicist. At least a few times a year, we're seeing where you are being honored by someone. But let's not also fail to mention that you are a mother and a wife. You are someone's sister. You are someone's aunt. And somehow you even balance all of that. But I think it's the mama bear in you. Like you said, some folks you've been dealing with since they've been 14 and 15 years old. So you can't help but to be protective. And mostly women whom you have to protect in a male dominated, which is shifting as far as those stats on who are executives and who are calling the shots. There are some women there calling the shots. I mean, you were one of them as vice president of publicity at Sony at one time. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you had to be protective. And us as clients, we don't mind. You know, my whole thing was there's never a time that you're going to look bad. There's never a time that you're going to look bad. I will not let the client look bad. I will defuse the situation. I will handle the situation. No one had to tell me that. I didn't read that in any sort of manual that Sony gave me. And I certainly didn't read that in journalism school or in any of my public relations classes. It's just innate. It's just who I am. And, you know, like you said, I mean, I wasn't born as a 60-year-old, you know. I <laughs> Fly, honey. You know, a fly, I, honey. She just celebrated a milestone birthday of turning 60. And yeah. this is a long time in, in the industry, but you didn't start off as a publicist, though. No, I started out as a journalist. Uh, I went to college to become a journalist. Actually, I wanted to be a combination of Barbara Walters and Oprah Winfrey. So I really, really was concentrating on broadcast journalism, Mm -hmm. but it's better now. But back in the day, I had really, really bad asthma and just horrible upper respiratory issues. And so my nostrils were always so nasal. It always sounded as though there was something stuck in it. So the first time I actually recorded myself to hear what it would sound like on television or radio. Woo, honey, I said, I better learn to do print journalism because I sounded so bad. Yeah, so I concentrated on writing, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, and not really on the voice. 
but that's what I studied. And I, I ended up going to Blackbeat magazine and uh, staying there for quite some time, quite some time. I think I was there like nine years and then came over to, by the way, I did it because I love it. I did it because I loved it. I loved the artist. I loved music. I loved writing. I didn't do it for the money because, honey, if I did it for the money, somebody needed to, like, put the dunce cap on me. The money was so bad after college, and I knew that I was a brilliant person. I mean, I'm not should yeah, you absolutely. should not be ashamed to say that you're brilliant. I knew I was well-read. I knew I had discernment. And what they were paying me to be the editor of that magazine is, it was just a joke. But I always knew that it would be the best stepping stone. And mm -hmm. I learned so much. I was already working with artists. For a minute, let's forget the artists. You know what Blackbeat gave me the training for? To be around publicists. I had to deal with them to do my job. I had to call a publicist in order to get an interview with an artist. So I learned how publicists work. I didn't want to be one because I felt they were, woo, they get so yeah. crazy. Woo, woo, yeah. woo, you know. But then I said, maybe I could be a different one. Maybe I wouldn't be so harsh with journalists. Maybe I will give people grace. Maybe I will be respectful of their time and deadlines. And maybe I will do just a little bit more research on who that person is so I could deal with them from a human standpoint, because I think for now, you sure you want to give away the secret to some of your sauce? Oh, I do, because <laughs> at some point our expiration comes mm. and you want to know that you have given a little gem after you're gone. And I'm not even talking about death. I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Leaving, you want to retire. The business, doing yeah. something else, you know, wearing a bikini until I'm 80 years old on the beach in Grenada, you know. Yeah, you have to teach those secrets. You have to teach that. And, and it doesn't matter what work you do. You have to give another human being grace. And I never wanted to be the person that worked with a big artist and felt that I was better than others, so treated people badly. Because then I'm not, I'm not really giving the client grace. Imagine, mm. I'm taking you, Michelle, on the carpet and somebody acts the fool yeah, I'm going to be firm with them, but I'm not going to take away their humanity. That's I'm not going to take away their humanity because what am I doing is I'm also embarrassing you, right? So I would probably give you a heads up. Okay, Michelle, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. And I'm going to mm -hmm. say, hey, yeah. don't yell at them. I'm going to tell them to come over to you and they're going to come. They're going to look right into your camera and they're going to give you time. But you can't yell at them. And please don't take the photo from the side profile that you know you're not going to use. Just they're mm. coming to you. They're coming to you and they're going to look right into your lens so you could get the photo you want. But you have to do that with honoring the person and telling them, I'm trying to make this better for you. But I've seen the opposite. I've seen publicists yell at people and, oh my, I, uh, no, I'm going to be firm. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be protective of my clients, but I will not take away someone's humanity. Which is definitely a key to, I believe, your longevity and why everybody from the cameraman to the host, <laughs> the person lighting and the rigging, they love when you're there. 
Oh, that's you so know sweet. that. You know that. <laughs> that's so sweet. And I think a lot of people, when you book clients on certain shows, they already know that client is gonna come respected. They it's like they get excited. Yvette booked this client. Oh, we we we're we're good. We're good. We're good. And especially for them that's been here so long, I think they beam up when they see you there and how you're still the same, but still fierce, amazing, <laughs> polite. Like you said, you give people what they need. I think that's very telling of how people see you too. You know, oh, a publicist you. that it's not just the client getting the love, but you deserve that too. You do. Well, you know, Michelle, listen, when I get up in the morning, before I'm Michelle Williams' publicist, Beyonce's publicist, John Legend's publicist, whoever I'm working with, Bougie Banton, whoever, I am Dennis and Carmel Noel's daughter. I am a child of God. Mm. I am an immigrant. I have all of these other titles before I take on that title. So I have to show up first as myself, respect myself, respect the people who raised me and loved me. I always say I show up to finish the work that my mother and my father couldn't finish. And my mother and my father would never walk into a room and disrespect someone. That's right. Good. So I come in first with those other titles. When I put on the hat of your publicist, I have to represent you the way you want to be represented. There is no way you're going to feel good about the situation if I come in like a bull in a china shop. Yeah. No, no, no. You want somebody fierce to represent you. You want somebody with knowledge. You want somebody. But, Confident. Mm -hmm. But you want those folks to call again, not say, oh, we love Michelle. That's, but, Ooh, that but, that, that's true. That is so yeah. true. And I'm so glad that you went into who you're the daughter of, because people can also get so excited about what you do, who you work with. And it's like, wait a minute. You just said that you are the daughter of immigrant parents yeah. coming from Grenada yeah. to New York. Yeah. And when I gave you the copy of Checking In, you had definitely told me things chapter about five your mother. Is my favorite. Chapter five. Chapter five. Yes. <laughs> you had told me some things about your mother in, in the past. You know, we've gotten to know each other and have some personal moments. Y'all, I've called Yvette on what do I do in this relationship? Because I think I talk too much and I'm gonna run this man away. <laughs> we've done that. We have, we've had those personal moments. Yeah. But you told me something about your mother because y'all this, I don't want this episode just to be about, ooh, they gonna spill some tea about some of our clients. <laughs> no, this ain't the podcast. You, this, this is not the podcast. This ain't the podcast for that. But you tell me about your mother who was diagnosed with being bipolar and how she was made fun of by family members. People yeah. didn't understand and, and they isolated her. Can you give us part of that and how that prepared you for life? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I got my doctorate on being her daughter. Really, it was mm. the lessons of life from day one. Uh, I'm going to go back to when I was uh, probably about 10. I always get it wrong because I probably could have been about nine. Mm. But it was when my mother tried to commit suicide. And, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that is. I didn't, you know, all I know is they were trying to pump her stomach. And then they took her away to the hospital. She had come to visit Grenada after she had been in America for a while. And I think something clicked then and there that something is wrong with my mom. 
And if she comes through this, I have to take care of her. And that's a big burden for, you know, a preteen. So I started paying attention, you know, after she left and went back to the U.S., I started paying attention to what actually is going on. And I would hear women talking about, you know, that crazy lady, that crazy lady, that crazy lady. And I realized that it was my mom they were talking Mm. about. Now, there were women in the village who were so good to my mother, but they were people who they themselves didn't understand what that was, you know? So now I could forgive them, but then it was very, very hard. When I came to America, I was, I was 14. Yes. And my mother had gone in between, you know, episodes, you know, she was good one year, she wasn't one year. But when I arrived, she was very, very, very well. And then she got very sick and she was sick for like two or three years. So at 14 is when it really was, that is going to be my job. And when do I talk about it? Well, I don't. I don't. So most of my high school, I didn't join too many clubs or anything like that because I had a responsibility. I had to go to the G building, which was at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, to see my mom. I did my homework there. It was as though she was in jail because it was like bars, you know, Mm. and they would let me in. And I would sit, I would do homework and then I would comb her hair or help her brush her teeth or whatever. And then when she was well, she was the most brilliant person I knew. It was like a 30 stems of poem that my mom would just recite, you know, and she knew all of the Catholic prayers, like by heart. She just knew all of those. She knew every song. She knew what was happening in the news. She just had a brilliant, brilliant mind. But bipolar is a monster in that it really is up and down, literally bipolar. Bi- it's like yeah. Bipolar. Wow. It's like hot, too. Yep. Cold, cold. <laughs> up, down. It's like extremes, you know, like, and it could all happen within like an hour. I could be sitting having like a real important conversation with mommy. And then the next minute she doesn't know me or I can go visit her thinking she's having a good day. And then she'll start yelling and screaming like there's a stranger in her room and it would be me, you know? So I never knew which mom I was going to get, but I was always prepared. Mm. I was always prepared. You know why? Because the love never shifted. I loved my mother in the throes of a horrible episode. And I loved her when we were having a beautiful conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then I learned. I learned. I asked questions. I read books. I looked at what medications went with what medications. And I questioned whether or not this dosage was too strong because she was sleeping too much or, or something. And then my husband and I, David, and I decided that we we're just going to take care of her. So we took her out of Brooklyn and we brought her to live here. And as my travel started getting really, really plentiful, we found a, a home for her so that they could really monitor her medication. Now, the good thing about my mother's mental illness is that she got better as she got older. There were years as she got older that she was just now dealing with physical ailments of getting older. So we have to monitor her pressure. Or, but mm. she went years without episodes. And I, I really know that medication absolutely helped and therapy absolutely helped but can't have any of those without love i was gonna say and attention yes and attention you got to be present you got to show up i would come off planes and go see her 
if I was out on the town, on, on the road for a long time, my husband would go, my brothers and my sisters. Like, you have to be present. But I learned responsibility at a very, very young age. Years later, when I left high school, I was out of college and everything already. I had a full mm-hmm. career. I was asked to come back and speak to my graduating class. And I was the keynote speaker. And I finally revealed in that keynote address why I was running from school every, every day. I finally told them that I didn't make a lot of friends in high school because of my responsibility to take care of my mother, that I was the first person at the corner of Flatbush Avenue and Church Avenue in Brooklyn, waiting for the number 35 bus to let me out mm-hmm. to go see my mom. And I will get out and walk across the Clarkson Avenue and go and stay there and wouldn't leave there until probably like 3.30 yeah. to 7, you know, to take care of her. And you're talking about a 16-year-old. And I took care of my mother until... 2016. You were present. Yeah, I remember. We remember all of that. And you were on world tours and multiple clients at a time, but still making time for your mother. But even I know that there are some listeners here who I would say that they're caregivers as well. Was there any human part of you that was like, I I can't, I can't do this or how do I keep going? Absolutely. What? I mean, there were so (laughs) many times. Girl, I would sit down and say, Lord, let's just have a conversation. First of all, why am I doing all this? Why can't I be a booster or cheerleader? Why can't I go and just hang out? Why do I have to be the responsible one? Isn't that... Why do I have to be the responsible one can go beyond people that are just maybe caregivers or right now you're the breadwinner or right now you are the caregiver. Yep. So that question lingers for millions of people. Why do I have to be the responsible one? I, I want to just go out and have a good time, have me some drinks and go to bed. But I can't because I can't be drunk and take care of you. That's right. That's right. Or I can't but stay out with my boo. But think about that, Michelle. Think about that. Mm. My mother's illness gave me responsibility. But it also saved me. What would I have been? I don't know. It's that question that lingers. Without the responsibility to take care of my mom, would I have been a different person? Well, this is what I'll say. I feel like when you say it gave you responsibility, you were able to take care of her in some of her most fragile, vulnerable, tender, private, maybe even somewhat embarrassing moments. Absolutely. Which prepares you for what you do today. You take care of people in their most tender, vulnerable, embarrassing moments that should just be left private. You are there. Yeah. Matter of fact, One of your clients passed away. You had to write that press release of their passing away. The hardest thing I've ever had to do was to tell the world that Prince had passed away. First, I had to digest it. First, I was just like, you know. Just as a human, as a fan, consumer. As a fan, as somebody who had gotten to know him. I actually thought that it was a hoax because I was on a flight. I was in between two flights when I landed. I noticed that I had missed 
I don't know how many calls could be recorded, but I had to have missed about a hundred calls. And then as I kept looking at it, I saw that my husband had called about 10 times. But I was like, why is he calling? He knew I was on a flight. So I immediately thought, oh my gosh, my mom, even though she, she was just elderly, she wasn't really sick. Right. But yeah. I thought maybe it's my mom. But then I said, like, it'll be my, my husband, then the New York Times, then the LA Times, then the Associated Press, then CNN. I'm just like, wait a minute. Wait a happening? minute. Yeah. Because yeah. as you're telling this story, y'all, y'all can't see us, but my hands are in front of my eyes <laughs> as she's telling the story because I'm just imagining you and your heart fluttering really fast. Like my heart. CNN, LA Times, who did something? What happened? Because that's what I was thinking. I was like, if it's not my mom. And then I quickly said, it's not my mom because there weren't any calls from my sisters mm. or my brothers. Mm -hmm. So I said, it's not my mom, but oh my gosh, it's probably something happened to one of my clients, but I was not thinking death at all. I was thinking somebody accused them of something. Some, I just, you know, so I called my husband back first and he said, call Phaedra, who was a wonderful woman that was Prince's business manager. Prince has died. I said, what do you mean? I'm like, no, 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 no. The last thing I did before I left was to send a message for Phaedra telling Prince, I'm going away. And when I come back, we're going to do the cover of the magazine he wanted to do. What are you talking about? I called her and I said, what is this hoax? Why are we giving into a hoax? She's like, Yvette, the world is waiting for you to tell them officially. I said, it's true. What, 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 how is it true? And then I asked her a few details. And then I said, let me start writing. But I'm writing it on my phone and calls the and texts are still coming in. And my daughter was traveling with me and she saw me crying and she took my phone away from me and she put it back in airplane mode. And she said, okay, now you can write. <laughs> I oh said, oh, that's why I sent you to school. You actually know how to do that. Yes. But you know what? Yeah. Can I say this to folks that are listening? Now, none of my listeners would ever do this, but do y'all hear the anguish, the despair? Yvette's blood pressure rising. So that means not only for the family members of these horrible hoaxes, but for the people that work so closely, Yvette's just not his publicist. That was a friend. Yep. So I think that's why hoaxes are horrible because it gets everybody exactly. in a up and you got to hear your one. No, it's not true because hoaxes are pretty normal nowadays and it's like no it's, it's not terrible. true then it, then it then your whole spirit but you've already done you've already done the physical damage to someone you know it's like it's just listen i was at an airport in trinidad i was literally on the floor literally mm -hmm. sitting on the floor at it's called piaco airport in port of spain trinidad writing this and then I said, you know, I'm only going to send it to one person. I'm just going to send it to the Associated Press, Nakesta Moody, who is now at The Hollywood Reporter. Okay. And I'm going to just let her tell the world. And I called her and we're both choked up on the phone because she was one of the last people that Prince agreed to do an interview with. A guy mm. who didn't used to do interviews. And I'm just like, the whole thing is just spinning like, oh my goodness, you know, and... I sent it to her and minutes later, literally, I'm walking out of the airport and it's already on the screens at the airport. 
We have official word. Prince's spokesperson, Yvette Noel Shore, has just released a statement. I said, oh, my goodness. Not only is this real, there it is. <laughs> the ticker yeah. on, the, on the airport stuff, there it is right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. Very, very sad. And, of course, only three weeks later, I am back on the tour, you know, the mm-hmm. Formation World Tour. And I get a call that I need to go home because my mom is not doing well. And it was Mother's Day weekend. I get home on Saturday. I spend all day with her Sunday. Know that that's it. I'm not going to see her anymore. And uh, she she leaves the world like right after she has Mother's Day with us. And I just thought wow. that is appropriate because to the end, the thing she wanted to do better the thing she wanted to have more time to do and perfect mm-hmm. was to be a mother. So she would not die until Mother's Day was over. She just would not. She died 2 a.m. going into that Monday morning. Mm. She just would not. I was with her until about, about almost midnight. Yeah. And uh, I should have stayed. The regret is that I wish I had stayed with her. I wish I had held her hand. I wish I was. Do you think she would have left with you still being there, though? No, no. She would have held on. She would have held on until I fell asleep. Okay. And then when I woke up, she would have been gone because she did not want me to see her. She didn't want me to see her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I felt really, I don't know. I felt I didn't come through for like two days, honestly. But I felt when, when we finally let go of her. I felt that her journey was, her life journey was what exactly what it meant to be. Because to this day, all of the lessons that she taught me, a lot of it were in her illness, were in her, like you said, her most vulnerable moments were the most teachable moments for Mm me. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises, or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, 
Participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating While Broke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests. But with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot. Spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound feet of torque. Got my Prevna 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Talk about so much loss. We talked about the loss of one of the most amazing icons, Prince. There will never be another like him. Never. Course, there, will, there will never be no one like your mom, there is no one to replace her. And Never. at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, you had another death in the family not too long after that. My aunt, her sister. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my mother fixed it that I was there for her. <laughs> See there. <laughs> I was like, Mommy, what are you doing? I don't, want to, that, I don't want to be there. But I was there. Isn't was there that aunt. something? You want to talk about loss and how you're still present. Yeah. But I get concerned about just the human side of you. And of course, you do well as far as you're vulnerable in public. You'll do a transparent post. (laughs) But I'll be dancing five minutes later. Exactly. So so I was going to say, you know, what is the overriding lesson to folks listening as it relates to loss? But one of it is dance five minutes later. You know, it depends on the loss. I would say, how do you dance five minutes later to loss? I think I've gotten to that age or at this time in my life where I realized that the circle of life includes death. The circle of life includes loss. And to truly honor those we love who have left us, we can only stay in a place of sadness for a short period of time. Because to honor them, we have to also remember the good, the ups, and all of the great things they've done for us. Wow. I'm very transparent with my emotions. And it takes me a while to, to sit and write what I want to say to the world. And what I want to say to them is that we are this sort of uh, 
convoluted people. And we have this mixed way of seeing things. We're not all the same. We all process things differently. I go into a very, very still place when I'm sad. It takes me to a place where nothing in my body works. I'm paralyzed. I don't need food. I don't need water. I don't even need to go to the bathroom. I could just sit in my stillness for two days. I did that when my mother died. I get very, like, you see the films and this, this is still and everything is passing by. Mm-hmm. That's, what's, that's what happens with me. Is that also how you deal with stress? Would that be called depression or just, or a more conscious, I'm, I'm still and this is just what happens when I'm still. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I need to put a title on it. I don't know that I've ever really felt depressed, so I don't know if that is true depression, but I know that I get really, really sad. Now, I, I've told you Which is a that, human response, by the way. I don't want to make you put a title on something that no, but I, happens naturally after to, loss. I've been searching for a title because just lately, it wasn't about a physical loss of you know someone dying mm-hmm. uh, but when I think about it I did lose somebody that I just really 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 loved uh, I saw her as a mentor mm. a lady from uh, my my village in, in uh, Grenada I did not expect to react to her loss the way I did I was really really sad and I think it's because I broke my routine I have a routine when I go home there's a number of people that I must see even if it's okay. for three seconds but in COVID and coming out, of a, coming out of a spike in Grenada, I had to stay in my bubble. So I only sort of stayed with the people who were going to attend my birthday party because they were all vaccinated, all mm-hmm, cleared mm-hmm. by the health department. So we kind of stayed in that bubble. And I was never going to ask anybody outside of the bubble, are you vaccinated? I just knew I was going to stay in the bubble. But I decided not to visit a lot of people. And she was one of those people that I always visit. And then she passed away pretty soon after I got back, right after the holidays. And it really bothered me. It really, really bothered me. And um, I think the fact that I didn't go back for her funeral, that bothered me. But I think beyond that, I was coming down, like I said in my post, from a high that happened for my birthday. Yes. Like literally I planned my birthday for five years and it was beyond expectation. It was huge. It was just my emotions, everything. And I think that in the weeks following it, I had to do this. Ooh, 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 ooh. And it was a little bit of a letdown that I had to come back into my world. I have to work. I have to pitch. I have to make calls. I have to do Mm -hmm. things. I have to go to the supermarket. I have to go to the cleaners. I have to get my nails done. All of those things were like, ah, I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to be in that place that I was for 30 days with the most incredible love I've ever felt. It was intense and beautiful. So that is a kind of loss too when you don't want to step away from where you are into what is a little bit more reality, right? Yeah. So I literally want to coin a phrase because people don't talk about, okay, there are situations where you're planning, I don't know, a wedding or 
women who are getting ready to give birth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After hmm. you give birth, there is a sadness that people can't explain. And it's because the baby is no longer just your baby. That baby now belongs to the world, belongs to your partner, belongs to your family. And it's difficult sometimes to share something that was so, I mean, it's a physical thing. That baby was in you. You felt everything of the baby. So, you know, I really understand postpartum blues. I completely, but I didn't understand what it's like to come back from something very, very happy into reality when you saw reality as mundane and not giving you the kind of love that you had you know, in abundance. Wow. I'm sitting here trying to figure it out that now you got me wanting them. I got therapy in two days, so I can ask the therapist. <laughs> Please. And let me know. But we were, you know, trying to figure out when everything is high or it's like a performer, you get, you perform or event. you've had such a, a great achievement. And then you come back to your room two days later. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it happens to performers. If they're honest, they will tell you that there's that adrenaline that pumps, you know. No, Michelle, it happened to I've, me I've, yesterday. I've, I've seen you. I've seen no, 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 you no, no, perform. No. This wasn't even a performance. Well For three days straight, I was in Columbia, South Carolina at a very high powered women's conference. And it was everything I needed. It was affirming, confirming. It was like, okay, I've got the tools to go and do the next thing that I want to do. Or it was confirmed that you should do this. You're not crazy. And then yesterday, I was like, mm, I'm alone. It's just me and yeah. these Reese's PC <laughs> and candy corn. And all, so, <laughs> I was like, when you were talking, there is a term for it. I've it's heard gotta it. Be term. There it's got to be a term. Even when preachers preach, if they're a high because the audience is, yes, yes, yes. And then they get back into their office or they go home. I promise you, but I'm going to get the term for it. There is a game for for exactly what you are describing. But think about it in your line of work. Not the author, not the great speaker, but the performer, Michelle. Think about what happens. You're on stage, you're performing either by yourself or you're with the group. And Mm -hmm. the audience is screaming. Everything is crazy. Everything. And then two and a half hours, three hours later, you're in the car. And you're going back to the hotel or back to your apartment. There is a little bit of sadness. If we're really honest with each other, there is a little bit of sadness because for two and a half, three hours, 20,000, 30,000, 80,000 people. It's unfair for anybody to think that a normal human being could come down from that energy force without feeling something has shifted, which is where I think talk about it more. Yes. Which is where I think addictions and habits form. That's right. That's right. Because you want to constantly hear that clap. You want to constantly be on that high or your room. You know, you've had artists where their rooms always are constantly filled with people, entourages. They They don't want to be alone. They don't want to be alone because they know that feeling all too well versus saying, "Okay, I just poured out my heart, soul and guts to the world. How in a healthy way do I replenish Post-performance letdown is what it's called. Ah, wow. We just found out there's a term, post-performance letdown. Well, what we going to call it? PPL. 
post-performance mm. letdown. Y'all, this is live. So we are finding out That's it. and how it could possibly. That's it. If, That's instead it. of feeling proud and successful, you're feeling depressed and lethargic. You're suffering from a post-trace letdown, a common malady among athletes after the culmination of months of work, which yep. is why Olympian athletes feel depressed. You don't work all those years for five minutes at a track meet. And then what? Yep. Yep. Bet you've worked all this time, all these years Five for this years. birthday. Five years for this birthday. For it this birthday. One day. It lasted one day. <laughs> and then you got to come back home and deal with us. And then I got, <laughs> then I got to make some phone calls. Then I got to be like, Michelle, can you do this? Yeah. Right. But y'all, yeah. but, but yeah. you don't understand where you were served for weeks in Grenada. You, matter of fact, you took time off, by the way to have a vacation, to yes. do what you needed to do for your mental health. Everybody is serving you, honey, your outfits, honey, those custom outfits feathers, you were wearing, feathers, honey, the performers, <laughs> honey. And then, womp, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. <laughs> I went into my closet expecting the Soka star to come out and start performing he wasn't here <laughs> wow angela thank you for letting us know what this term Post performance is let down that, that is so this very will true. help me then to you play a lot of tennis i do i do so when that you say saved, that saved i was gonna too. say You've always yeah. been active, which is probably why, like you said, you you probably don't really know what it's like to be depressed or you have just found healthy ways and you've got a great people around you that y'all. Let me tell you somebody that <laughs> when Yvette needs to cry, she gonna cry. Oh, yeah. That's probably in, what's in, wrong with a lot of us. In cry. Public. I yes. will do the ugly cry in public. I will do it in boardrooms. <laughs> I will do it on planes. I will do it on red carpet, I will do whatever I need to do to get the emotion out get because, out. but you know what, Michelle, Ooh. Michelle, don't forget that I watched the woman I love the most in this world, not let out her emotions and then scream it out when she was in a mental institution. Okay. I have that mirror in front of me every day. Do you know what I say every day? Not today, not today, not today, not today. I just wake up. I thank the Lord that my heart is beating in my chest. And I said, not today. We will not let Satan get to us today. We're going to work this through. We're going to work this through. Some days are harder than others. I was saying to Edwin, my work husband, Edwin, yes. I was saying to him that Going to Disney last week was the universe gave that to me. It was like Kelly was going, I was going to go. And it was like, oh my God, this booking came for Kelly just in time because Disney's a really happy place for me. Duh, it is. Yeah. But I was surrounded by people who are friends as well as clients, right? And it was like our little circle. And I got them to come play tennis with me. Two days in a row, we woke up early. Oh my God, Orlando is so hot. And we played tennis and it was just a release. Just let it out. Just let it out. So I think for me, 
I'm not saying I'm perfect. There are going to be days yeah. when I'm going to be very sad, but I find that three things get me out of a, a situation that I can't handle. I have to dance. I'm the world's worst dancer, but I have to put on some kind of soca music or African sounds or something. And I have to mm -hmm. dance. I absolutely need to pick up a racket. I need to pick up a racket and just go and hit a ball someplace. And then I have to feed my body with something from the God's green earth. I have to put something that will give me energy. Vegan yeah. or vegetarian? You are well, vegan. I am 100% vegan right now. I don't see myself going back to anything that bleeds for a now long how time. How are you going <laughs> to be from Grenada and not eat some of the world's well, freshest maybe, livestock, I guess? No, I won't do livestock. Fish. But maybe in a weak moment that that fisherman come from the sea with some fish, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but for now i'm doing a detox with food mm. i am really going and looking at foods that give me energy and realizing that there are some foods that even though i love it takes away my energy so they are linking gut health with our mental health that's been the, oh, absolutely. that's been the cool well we, we keep everything here though we keep everything in the core everything comes Come from the on. core think about it Already your emotions are there. What do we say? Oh, my stomach hurts. Oh my God, I feel nervous. Oh, my stomach. Oh, it's always in our stomach. stomach. Yes. Right. That is and so true. And then on top of it, you're going to put toxic foods in there. We don't need to do that. Because the emotions that we're going through is already putting all our intestines like this, right? So and we don't detox. You know, the liver is good to detox because it detoxes all of those hormones and all that stuff that makes us exactly balance. Okay, y'all. So we, okay. She's given us, <laughs> tons and tons of gems. I will say I had kale for the first time because Yvette made it. And I had eaten kale in a long time because I was like, I can eat Yvette's kale, but I don't eat kale. But now I do eat kale. But Kale's my good. first time having kale was because Yvette made it. Now, earlier in the podcast, we talked about how I've called you for personal relational advice and you love your husband, David. Honey. Can't do. nobody tell you nothing. I do. And if you I try do. to, and you try to cross them, you will get the event that was on that red carpet at the Grammys that yes, you, you might get a yes, little, but it might be a little more unfiltered. <laughs> um, True. And y'all have the machete, the, the machete, machete version. The one from Grenada. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the secrets to long lasting love as someone you travel in this industry, all, what I do know is David and your children are constants. That's what Constant. I know for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, be yourself, like be honest. Like I tell David exactly what I want, exactly how I'm feeling. Just because you're with somebody for all those years, they did not study mind reading in school. Mm -hmm. Couples are making us assumptions about, you know, while you're growing as a couple, don't forget you're growing as an individual too. The 17-year-old that David fell in love with, man, I've had some rebirths throughout the years. He's had to wake up to a different girl sometimes. Like, who are you? Well, because I just made an art. I'm 30 now. 
I'm not the 17 year old you fell in love with. I'm 40 now. I'm not the 30 year old you were learning about. I'm 50 now. I'm not the 40 year old you thought you knew. I'm 60 now. Hello, it's a whole other woman here. You have to have grace in your relationship. And you have to have those conversations because you know each the other, other's growing. Because so we're growing too. We're growing as individuals and yet, too. Your partner is growing. So that's why I don't believe in the term we grew apart. God forgive me because I don't want to put anybody down. I promise I think, you. I just think people get investment takes time and work. Like when you put money in Wall Street, you check on it all the time. You call your broker. You do it all the time. Well, invest in your relationship. You got to check on it. You got to work on it. I guess you can grow apart if you don't be conscious that the other person is growing too. Exactly. And your word from earlier, grace. Yes. Each other is growing. So it's like, okay, you'll have a period where you're growing and they're just kind of, you know, they're chilling. Yeah. Then they're growing, but you're like, okay, I guess I better. Yeah. But that's supposed to push you. That's supposed to push you. And we're supposed to respect that, you know, I mean, I don't know how many people will admit to that, but we've all been embarrassed by the way we hear a couple that's supposed to be in love talk to each other, even out in the street. You're like, whoa, what do they say to each other behind closed doors? They just keep it real. They keep it real at this point. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. But that's not the person I'm going to turn my, like, oh, they're, they're awful. I'm saying that person is being real. Something's not right. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's not make assumptions. From the day I met my husband, I have been so vocal with what I want. And I was only 17. Mm. I was only 17. From day one, I've asked him for patience with me because of all the responsibilities I've had. Yes. You know, because of all the things I've had to do. And we still look at each other and he says to me, wow. I did not know the ride I was going to get on when I walked into Burger King (laughs) and asked for your name. He got some girl in a brown polyester (laughs) suit at 17. And now he woke up one day and he's like, who is this Caribbean woman up in this house who is like, wow. But it has been an incredible journey of ups Mm. and downs. We're interracial couple, I should say. We've had a lot of things said to us, done to us. I've been disappointed that he came from a family that just didn't have any, I don't know, they just never, I don't know if they've ever seen black people before they met me. Mm -hmm, And it was such mm -hmm. a strange thing for them. And, you know, because he loved me so, he wanted to forsake them. But I had too much love for my family. So I said, you can't do that. <laughs> hey, I'm going to Brooklyn every Sunday, get my rice and peas. So I'm not, you better not be forsaking your family because I'm not forsaking mine, you know, and worked with him so he could work with them. I said, they may never love me. They may never understand if they don't want to grow. But you were born into that family and you've got to teach them what you know. Yvette, you, that's unheard of. That's unheard of because it could have been, they don't love me. Well, why do you need to love them? The Bible says cleave and leave. No, 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 no. Michelle, instead, I got myself a pen. I took out 
all the checks he had signed. And I learned how to sign his name. I bought Easter cards, Mother's Day cards, Father's Day cards, Christmas cards, every kind of card, birthday cards. And I sent them for years when he didn't want to talk to them. And then one day he came and he said, that's it. We're going to go see them. They're going to understand what this love is. And they're going to meet their grandchildren. By now, we have three children yes. that they haven't met yet, right? Mm -hmm. And somewhere between New Jersey and Pennsylvania, somewhere at that border, I was no longer angry. I left home angry, didn't want to yeah. go. Mm -hmm. But somewhere between New Jersey and Pennsylvania, I remember reaching to the back of my husband's head and telling him, it's going to be okay. And then... Pretty much right after that, his father passed away and his mother, I could have predicted that because when we met him, he was at the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. And I said, mm. man, he missed out on so much. But when his father passed, his mother said to me, I am not following him in the grave. I'm going to stick around to get to know you and my grandchildren. And almost to the hour, 10-year anniversary of his passing, she left. She gave us 10 years. It's like you live in love, grace, and forgiveness daily. I have to. You know. I, first of all, I got these kids who they didn't ask to be here, and they're here. And they also didn't ask to be in this complicated, racist world, and they're here. And so... I needed to at least let them know the other side of who they are, even though I thought the Grenada side was better. But <laughs> got a little more spice, a little, more, a little you bit know. more spice. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I just I come from what I come from, and my people give people grace, absolutely grace, love, and mangoes, and, and mangoes. And every time when you get to Grenada, Michelle, I've got to get me a mango. I've got Michelle, to get me I got to get you to Grenada. I got to get you to Grenada. Listen, I Girl. am ready. I Girl, am we so were like, ready. Please, please let Michelle's, please let Michelle's schedule work out. Please let Ooh. Michelle's. Yeah, but it's okay. We'll get you to Grenada. We'll get you to Grenada. I, I, I've got I'm gonna to get, get all there. of you to Grenada. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get B. I'm going to get Kelly. I'm going to get Miss Tina. I'm going to get all of you to Grenada. We One of these are, days. We are going, and we have to get there. We we got to get there for you. You uh, are just a jewel, a joy. And, don't be trying um, to come to my funeral. Uh, you ain't going to Grenada for my funeral. You come into Grenada like so, we can play, 50. so we can play carnival. So we can we, play we, carnival. Absolutely. What you talking about? Okay. That's like 80 years from now. We're not oh, even. Yeah, yeah. We, we're not even we, talking we're about that. We're not even worried right. about that. So I'm sure the listeners are, and including myself, we're going to walk away like there's more to Yvette. And I know I've got some of the beehive on here. <laughs> okay. We love Did y'all learn something? But what I'm saying about the beehive, they probably knew all this stuff about you, honey, because they will dig, honey. They, they they're gonna dig. dig and get the information. But thank you for today. Thank, thank you for let, let me us say, let me say something up. before you. I want to oh, say something Lordy. about Michelle. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. I want to say, and I think your listeners already know this, but Michelle is consistent. The Michelle that is here has been through so many things, good, bad, whatever. 
and Michelle is Michelle is Michelle. The young woman who walked into Destiny's Child that I took aside and I said, I am here. You have a question, you ask anything you want to know. I'm here. I will make the time for you. Michelle Williams, I will make the time for you until time runs out for me because you've been there for me and things that we don't even talk about. You know, the other day I went to the back of <laughs> my pantry where I still keep a little box that was burnt in my fire in 2008. Yes. It was a bunch of photographs that just got burnt and they're all sort of tangled together. And I don't know what the scientists will tell you, but when you open that box, you still smell the fire. Wow. All those years later. But instead of me getting sad about it, when I open it, I think about you. Mm. I think about you in your stilettos coming out of that SUV. You canceled the press day that I had set up for you. We was like, what's going on? We're on the way. Came to my lawn, you and Courtney Anderson, I'll never forget it. And you were there. You helped me put together my closet, which is my linen closet that I still call Michelle's linen closet. (laughs) You are grace, love, and friendship personified. You keep me in business. You let everybody know I'm doing a project. You might call Yvette. (laughs) I am so grateful for you. I'm grateful for checking in with you. I'm grateful for working the press with Sarah with you and that and Edwin we had the best time yes you reminded all of us to check in absolutely most importantly with God and with ourselves and those we love and I just want to say that you have been a blessing in my life and I thank God for the Destiny's Child journey that I got to meet you and know you and got to meet your family and your late dad, who was so handsome, he had the best Ooh. hair in the world. Best hair. Well, in the world. Yvette knows how to bring Ooh, the Lord. get the tear ducts vibrating. I, I just, I just had to say that because you know, you doing this podcast, you checking in with everybody, mm. you checking in with everybody, and we have to remember to check in with you. And for those people who are constantly giving, we have to give back. You have to give. So I'm giving you. I'm giving you. Always you have given us, you've given us so much love today. Y'all got to listen to this episode again and just take note of what resonates with you and some of the lessons of life that Yvette spoke with us today. Yvette, promise us you'll come back again. What? Are you kidding? You don't even have to ask. And prayerfully, I don't know when, but there's a book or three or five or seven (laughs) in you. One one of these days, but it will be about my mom. It will be about my mom. It it will never be about this business. It will be about my mom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I pride myself in protecting my clients to the end. So anybody who's looking for the book on my client. The tell all, good luck. It's not coming. It's never coming. Definitely not. Definitely, definitely not coming. But like I said, I mean, there's way more to you than what the public knows as far as just your work, you know, so we would be delighted 
to have a book from you about your mother and the responsibility that you had at such a young age. So I know there's some, there's some listeners on here who probably have that same responsibility. And so I'm glad you were able to share with us today and you can't wait for you to come back, Yvette. I can't wait. And I can't wait to see you in person. I miss you. I miss hugs. Yes. I miss hugs with Michelle. (laughs) I know. I know. All right, sunshine. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Michelle, my bell. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as I stated in the beginning, that you never know. The people that you look up to and people that you say you want to be like, well, you just can't want to be like them when they're shining and when they're bright. When you pray for a person's life, you're praying for the good and the not so good that has come with it. Now, I know that things that are bad can be turned around for your good. So it's kind of like, wow. Some of y'all have known Yvette. You've seen her in pictures. You've seen her in red carpets with some of your quote unquote faves, not knowing what she went through as a little girl and what she went through as a teenager and high school, college and in her adulthood. So I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk about, I want to say perseverance Whatever it is that you might be carrying right now, you might be the caretaker of someone in your family and you just think you're just going to be stuck with this forever. I really hope that Yvette's story inspires you and encourages you. Don't forget about yourself in the process. Yvette had dreams, aspirations, and goals. And I think the results have probably gone above and beyond anything she could ever think or imagine, right? So don't forget about yourself. That's all I'm going to say. Don't forget about you. If you're put in a position where you're like, okay, I've got to care for someone right now. You know, I've got, I'm the oldest sibling and, you know, I've got to take care of my younger siblings until it's time for me to go to school or college. So just be encouraged by Yvette's testimony and her light. I am so excited that you guys continue to tune in every Tuesday to new episodes of Checking In. I'm thankful. I say it every episode. I'm thankful for you guys because if I don't have no listeners, I don't have a podcast. iHeartRadio and Black Effect could be like, all righty then, so we're going to have to let you go. But that's not the case. Because you guys continually check in and you download and you refer other people. I got a DM that said somebody sent them the Nicole Lynn episode and how inspired they were. So thanks to those that are even referring people to the podcast and sending episodes their way, as they say, sharing the episodes. All right. Well, we'll see you again. Know that you are loved. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. 
Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.